0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Once again, good morning to those who I didn't greet earlier on. To the new faces, welcome. We hope you made to feel at home hope you're made to feel special and important, because you are. And to those of you who have come many times, I also hope you've been made to feel important and special, because you are too. And so this morning, I want to thank you for this privilege that I have to share with you some things that have been rolling around in my heart for at least a couple of weeks now. I know that I gave up the jig well before we started worship this morning, so many of you already know the end from the beginning. For those of you who arrived late, you're in for a surprise, so that's great. I'm sure you'll agree with me that we live in an information age. So much is out there today about the power of information. Information is power. Um, everyone's trying to get hold of your information, everyone wants to see how you, where you go and how you get there, where you surf on the web and how you interact with other people. Constantly, there's gathering of information, because the, this, the, the assimilation of that gives us all kinds of statistics, gives us greater understanding. But we also live in the age, when I say the age of information, it's not just that people are trying to get information, it's that people are trying to give information. The Internet has exploded our ability to access information. I remember a little while ago when I was in the United States, I went for a walk one day, and they had just delivered the phone books. And you'll be glad to know that they deliver phone books in the United States the same way they deliver them here in South Africa. They throw them on your driveway, and you pick them up, and you take them inside. And as I was walking along, there was this mom that had just come home with her kid, they opened the doors and the kids got out and the boy found this, this book, this big fat book lying in his driveway wrapped in plastic and he picked it up and says, Mom, what's this? And she says, it's a telephone book. And he says, what's a telephone book? This kid was about 11 years old, 12 years old, somewhere around there, okay? We're not talking about a child, we're talking about, you know, pre-teen. And his mom said, you don't know what a telephone book is? And she looked at me walking by and she says, he doesn't know what a telephone book is. I said, tell him to Google it. He said, I will, because that he knows how to do. Back in the day, our access to communication information was a book with telephone numbers in it, and you could go through it and find the information you needed. Today, information is just there at our finger- fingertips. But what that also means is that anyone can share anything. Anyone can put anything out there. So although we live in the age of information, and information is freely accessible to all of us, not all information is true. And not all information is valuable or helpful. Let me give you an example. Did you know that there are 336 dimples in the regulation average golf ball? Isn't that interesting? Did you know that humans and bananas share about 50% of the same DNA? Some people, a little more maybe. Did you know that your cell phone carries up to 10 times more bacteria than your toilet seat? Wow. Isn't that interesting? You didn't think you were going to learn that today when you came to church, did you? All information. Most not very helpful. Most not very helpful. Every day we are confronted by millions of messages, pieces of information coming at us. Some are facts like some of those that I just told you, relevant, irrelevant, you decide. Some are lies. Others are observations. You see things and then you get information from them. Other things are emotions. You feel things. That's information. Some are physical experiences. Your parents can inform you about things, right? Or your spouse, just say... Other times, there's spiritual input. All the time, there is information coming at us. 24-7, it's happening. And all of these bits and pieces of information have the ability or the potential to impact us in some kind of way. How we process and how we channel that impact determines how we respond to it. Wouldn't you agree? Are you following my train of thought here? It's all fairly straightforward so far. That response is what I want you to what I want to speak to you about today. What is it that we do with the information that comes at us? What is it that we do, and how do we process it? That process is really important you'll know that some people process things very differently to other people. Uh, if I had to say and, and it depends on on your your stance, it depends on your affiliation, on your preferences. for example, this morning, if I had to say uh, Liverpool are likely to win the Premier League this year for the first time in over 30 years. Check that response. You'd think you'd be excited. But Siobhan, not quite so much. Because Siobhan is a Manchester United fan. Same information. Different response. Right? Did you ever hear something and think it was fantastic news? Only to go and tell someone close to you and they go, meh. Yeah, it's not great. What's the difference? The information? No, it's how that information is received, processed, and what is done with it. The way we receive process and process information and what we do with information determines whether we will succeed or fail, determines whether we will progress or regress, determines whether we're going to stay where we are or we're going to move on, occupationally, relationally, physically, or spiritually. It affects every sphere of our lives. As human beings, we have the ability, it's called free will, to respond to inputs in ways that are genuine and sincere, deceitful, or simply measured. Let me, teach, let me explain what I mean by measured. We teach our children this from a young age. We teach them not to talk about bowel movements loudly in public. Right? The problem is that lesson generally comes after the experience when you're in the restaurant and the kid comes back and goes, Daddy, I made a poo! And hopes that you will be very excited and ecstatic by the news instead of embarrassed. Measured response. A measured response. Understanding the circumstances and the situation. Let me give you another example of how we teach our kids to do this. There was a child, had a birthday party, got a gift from one of the friends, opened the gift with great excitement, only to find they already had something like this. And so he went, oh, I've already got one of these. And of course, the kid who gave the present was distraught, so the mom took the kid aside and said, listen, sweetheart, um, if somebody gives you a gift and you have it already, don't say, oh, I already have one, because they're going to feel bad, they're going to feel sad, they put a lot of energy, and effort into choosing that gift for you, and and if it doesn't make you happy, they're going to be sad. So next time, just say thank you, act happy that you, you know. And and mom... Dad, we'll sort it out later. We'll take you to this, we'll swap it for something, but, but don't say you that's not nice. So the kid goes back and later on, opening more presents, and kid brings him another gift which is the same as something else that he already had. And the kid now learned this lesson. He opened it, he saw this gift, and he was so excited. He went, oh, I always wanted two of these. <laughs> Measured responses. You see, not everything we do and say is sincere. It may be well intended, but it's not always sincere. And I want to say, church, as believers, as children of God, we are probably more guilty of this than anyone. Ouch. How are you doing? How do you respond to that? Fine, I'm well. Praise God. Hallelujah. Too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) Measured response. Planned response. I don't want anybody to know. I don't really want to to do this. We pretend everything is fine. We pretend we're on the up and up. How's your relationship with God? No, good. Good. I I pray every single day. Meanwhile, the prayer is, God, please help me not to kill. (laughs) We put on a good front. We put out information that's not always entirely sincere. And in the area of our faith is where this becomes most important. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the message, uh, part of James chapter, I think it's two or three, we're going to read it just now. James chapter two, he says, Does merely talking about faith Indicate that a person really has it? Let me rephrase that question. Just because I possess information about God or about spirituality or about church, does it mean that it is providing any kind of real me- response in my life? Is there any, just because I know about it, does it mean that I'm engaging with it? Does it mean that it's impacting my life, that it's actually changing things? I've come to learn that through making many foolish assumptions over the years, that that is not true. Just because somebody says they're a Christian, just because someone says they've been going to church for many, many years, just because somebody says that they understand a Scripture, or they can even quote Scripture, does not mean that that Scripture is alive and working within their heart. You know that to be true for two reasons. Number one, because you've dealt with people like that. They said they were a Christian and you, you placed certain expectations on them based on their confession only to be disappointed later, to be let down because what you expected a Christian to do or what you expected as a certain level of maturity that they, spiritually that they portrayed, you expected things from them and you were let down, you were disappointed. And the other place that you know that what I'm saying is true is in your own life where you know what the Word of God says but you know you haven't entered into it yet. You understand certain principles intellectually but experientially in your life you haven't arrived there yet you're not it's not a part of you you're not walking in the fullness of that yet you're not practicing it and you're not eating the fruit of it I want you to remember something it is easy to talk but talk is cheap it's easy to put out information That does not mean that information is really, truly at work within your heart. This morning, I want you to consider your faith. What does consider mean? Think about what I'm sharing with you. Think about where you are at in what you believe about God, about who God is, about where you are in your journey with God. How does what you know about God, or what you say you know about God, impact your life? How does your relationship with God work itself out? in the way that you deal with your spouse? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you loving? Are you quick to apologize? Or are you hard-headed and stubborn and want your own way? We all struggle with that mixture, right? We all, it's not just me. How much has Christ taken root in your heart concerning that? What about how does, how does your relationship with God work itself out in your finances and how you steward that which God has entrusted you with? How does your relationship with God work itself out in your employment situation, perhaps where you're treated unfairly, or you're not remunerated as you feel you should be, or you have to deal with difficult or unreasonable people? How does your faith change or determine or guide the way you react or respond or behave in any given situation? Most of us sitting here today would say, we believe in the power of God. We believe God is awesome, He is powerful, He is loving, He is kind. Jesus has touched our lives. We know that we are saved. We believe that the Bible is true. We believe that the Holy Spirit is with us, He abides within us. However, there is a big difference between acknowledging facts that we say we know and identifying The potential and releasing the power of that potential within us and in our lives. The potential of the Word of God, the potential of the Holy Spirit here with me. Oh, I know He's here. I know Jesus is here. I kind of have an idea of that. But how does that, there's a big difference between knowing that and flowing with that, allowing that to impact, change, and work not only in my life, but through my life. Think of a car. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our, our fellowship and who has the nicest car in our fellowship. Now, obviously, this is up for debate. In my opinion, right now at this present stage, unfortunately, he's not here this morning. He drives a Golf R. Mark. Yeah, I've got a few heads nodding. nodding. Yeah, that, that is a car. Worth referencing. Let me give you some facts about that car. It's fitted with a 2-liter turbo engine. Uh, Most of them have Quattro drive. In other words, power goes to all four wheels. Capable of doing 0 to 100 in about 4.6 seconds. Depending on the model, it may be as slow as 5 seconds. Top speed, capped, 250 kilometers per hour. Puts out 213 kilowatts and 380 newton-meters of torque. If anyone's a petrol header, you understand, that is a lot of torque. But in cars, as in life, torque is cheap. Not necessarily when you're buying it, because then it's quite expensive. But if you are unable to harness the power of that torque, if you are unable to engage and release the potential of that torque, it means nothing. It's not how fast can your, can your car go. It's how fast can you go in your car. There's a big difference. I remember an episode of Top Gear years ago, they stuck Richard Hammond into a championship-winning um, Renault. I think it's the Renault that Fernando Alonso won the Grand Prix, and the, the guy couldn't drive the thing. He couldn't handle the thing. It's not that the car wasn't fast, it's that despite the fact that being a racing driver, he'd never ridden a Formula One car before, he couldn't get to grips with that clutch. He couldn't make the power transition from the the, the drivetrain into the wheels, onto the tarmac to propel the car efficiently without spinning, without messing up. He never, ever got the thing to full throttle around a racetrack. Why? Why? Because it's not about how fast the car can go. It's not about what you think you know about God. It's not about the information you possess. It's how is that information being worked out? How is that talk being translated into action? How is that becoming real in your life? You see, talking about God and singing songs to Him can sometimes be a lot like revving an engine. The noise is good, but you're going nowhere. If I had to ask Mark to pull up here and just give us a few, let me be honest with you. There was a year, year, in 2009, Ferrari brought out their signature car of that year. My wife is laughing at me. It was the 2009 Ferrari California. I'm not a major petrol head, but there are some things that really, they, they move me deeply. And on the website, when they when they launched this this Ferrari, they had a few sound clips, and one of them, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd thought of this sooner. I would have prepared it for you and played it for you. It would move you too. It's a worshipful experience. They had a sound clip of a man walking on what was fine gravel towards his car, and you could hear the fine footsteps, he, hear him opening the door, climbing in, closing the door, inserting the key, and 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 starting a route. And that sound was heavenly. Bow. And of course, with a Ferrari, all you have to do is just touch the accelerator and it goes, bow. Bow. Wow Whoa Oh, no, it doesn't sound anything like, um, I mean, we need to get James Earl Jones to come and try and do that sound effect. Maybe we'll get close to, to, to what that sounded like. It sounds good, but listen, I was enjoying the sound of that Ferrari. I wasn't driving one. I wasn't going anywhere in it. And just like with a car, unless you engage, you engage the gear, those revs, that power, that torque means nothing. The same with your journey with God, the same in the relationships that you have, the same in the calling that is upon your life. You can talk about it, you can sing about it, you can pray about it. If you do not engage in it, it means nothing. It's like revving an engine. I want to tell you that you can read your Bible without engaging with it. Right? You can read your Bible. And you can get information without it touching your heart. Why? Because you're not truly looking to engage with it as the person of Jesus Christ. You can sing worship songs without engaging with God. The lyrics are great. The focus is great. The sound is great. But your heart hasn't made a connection. You can pray without engaging God. You can say words, you can say all kinds of things without having connected with the Spirit of God. It's like an engine that revs. I trust you know what I'm referring to today because all of us have done this, we've all prayed prayers that are just kind of out of our heads. They're not Spirit-led. They're not born of God. We've all prayed prayers that are, you know, I think this is the right thing to pray in this moment, but you know that there's a difference when God is speaking to you and breathing over you and you are praying prayers in alignment with Him. You know when you are praying in the Spirit and He begins to move and work inside your heart. I had an experience two weeks ago where I was praying in the Spirit, had some, some difficult things weighing down on my mind, and suddenly I broke into tears. I had such a strong engagement with God and with His Spirit. I'm not going to go into all the details of it. But there was a difference between my praying before that moment and my praying in that moment and my praying after that moment. It wasn't just revving. It wasn't going through the motions. I knew that I had engaged with something. I had connected with God. Some of us are in that place, and maybe you have begun engaging, and you're in first or second gear, but there's five, six, seven, eight gears. depends what you are and where you're going, and if you're a Ferrari or if you're a truck, whatever it may be, how many gears you've got and what the ratios are. And it could, it's different, and it's unique for each and every single one of us. But there's a journey that God's calling us into. You can even give without engaging God in faith. You can give to somebody without engaging them. Dismissively? Yeah, go. Or you can give and truly engage with somebody, heart to heart. You understand what I'm saying? Unless and until we engage, there can be no transfer of power. Again coming back to the car, the power is there, but it's only when we engage the gear and let that clutch plate hit the flywheel that those two begin meshing and working together, and that power then becomes transferred into energy through the wheels that takes you forward. Engaging with God, just like engaging the gears of a car, folks, is a learning process. How many of you remember when you were learning how to drive? How many of you got it right first time? I'm talking about manual. Well, then you're a better person than me. My father had to go for treatment for whiplash several times. Not quite, but close. You learn how to engage with your car gears. Now, do I have to think about changing gears now? No, I do it completely automatically. But in the beginning, it was rough. And a lot of people struggle to drive different cars. I'm blessed, I enjoy driving. I've driven all kinds of different vehicles. One of the highlights of my job back in the working world was being able to drive the forklift. I really enjoyed riding the forklift and loading. That was fun. It's driving something. I enjoy driving. A lot of people struggle to drive different cars because the clutches take at different places and there's different levels of power and all those kinds of things. In fact, before you buy a Ferrari, one of the prerequisites is you need to go for an advanced driving course so that you know and understand how to handle that much power. Why? Because engaging with that much power is a learning process. You don't get it right first time. You learn. You grow. You make mistakes. But what's important is you're engaging. Different vehicles engage differently, and likewise, different relationships, different situations require different engagements. What do I mean by engaging? We understand the clutch analogy, but let me talk to you a little bit about what I mean. When I talk about engaging with God or engaging with someone or engaging with something, it means to truly connect with and to synchronize yourself with to come into sync with. It means to put your heart into something. You're not just doing it, you're not just going through the motions, but you're really engaging with it. It means you are invested in it. It means to enter into. So there's guys who go and they engage in war. Before my wife married me, we got engaged in a serious relationship. When I joined the church, I engaged in the service of this house, as did you when you joined your company. It is an investment. It is putting yourself in it. It is not being separated from it, or aloof to it, or untouched or affected by it. When you are engaged with something or someone, it moves you. You are deeply invested in that thing. And therefore, it requires corresponding action. There is a transference of influence. There is a transference of power. You cannot be engaged with something without corresponding actions. Let me give you three steps to engaging. Do you want to know how to engage? With God, with your relationships, with your calling? Here are the three steps. Number one, write this down. Action. Action. second step number two action yes that's right number three action action you cannot engage with someone or something and be apathetic you cannot engage with God in a meaningful way without action without doing something that's in the essence of being engaged You've got to do something, put what you know to work, produce something, go after it. It requires a behavior, it requires a response. I want to read to you a portion of Scripture where James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, Jesus' younger brother, is teaching about this very thing. James chapter 2. And I want to read it to you from the message. We're going to read verses 14 through to 26. It's going to be up on the board here. But you have to understand, James walked and he understood his brother. He knew his brother was Jesus. Okay? He, was, he grew up with this man. He didn't necessarily believe in the beginning, but later on he certainly engaged his heart and his life with him. And this is what James has to say. Dear friends, he's talking to believers here. Do you think you'll get anywhere in this? What is he talking about? This journey of faith. If you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, if you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend! Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that god talk? without God acts, is outrageous nonsense. How much of the church today is filled with outrageous nonsense? Let's bring this even closer. How much of my life is filled with outrageous nonsense? Stuff that I say I believe, but I don't walk in it. Is it nonsense? Is it not true? No, it's not that it's nonsense or that it's not true. The nonsense is that I confess it, but there's no corresponding action. Let's move on. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith... Fit together like hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that, but what does it, good does it do to them? Use your heads, folks. Do not suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a dead corpse on your hand. The King James says it this way faith without works is dead. Doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter what I confess to believe, it doesn't matter what how well I sing, if there is not corresponding action backing up what I say and what I believe I think I know, what does that say about my faith? It says, I'm filled with information, but have zero revelation. Wasn't our ancestor, he goes on to ask and make an example, wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? That faith expresses itself in works. Action. That the works are works of faith, the full meaning of believe in the, scripture, in the Scripture sense, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's, a, it's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident, he asks, that a person is made right with God not by a barren faith, but by faith fruitful in works, in action. The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing that counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Likewise, separate faith and works, you get the same thing. A corpse dead faith, produces nothing. It means that our churches are filled with people who profess Jesus, who say good things, but they're living in depression, they're living defeated lives, they're not coming anywhere close to life that resembles the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. They're not experiencing the power of God in their situation. And we call it Christianity. We call it Christ-likeness. We've got it wrong somewhere along the way. Action is what takes knowledge to experience and potential to power. Let me say that again. It's not what I know about the the Word of God. It's what I do with the Word of God. It's not how fast my car can drive. It's how fast I can drive my car. Action is what takes knowledge of God and His Word to experience and what takes the potential of this Word into power. You see, acting on, what, on God's Word is what makes faith come alive. You want living faith? You want to know what it's like to walk the walk of faith and see God come through for you? It's very simple. God gives the invitation to every single one of us. It's not that some can have it and some are not qualified. No, no, no. God brings us all into this wonderful invitation and He says, walk by faith. The just shall walk by faith. They will believe my word, and they will believe it to the degree that it actually changes them, and they act upon it. Action and faith are both necessary. They go together, and we need to engage in the development of both. We need to engage in the development of what we know about God's word, and as we do that, we need to engage with the development of our level of obedience towards God's word. There's a whole list of things, believer, I'm sure you'll agree with me, that you think you know, but in truth, you haven't got an experiential clue about. Would you agree? That may sound very arrogant of me. How how do you say something like that? Where do you come up with that? Well, if you really understood certain aspects of God's Word, then surely something would be different in your life. If there's any area of your life that is not matching up or aligning with God's plans or promises or what He writes in His Word about you, you may know what you like about it. You may think you know whatever you, all about it, but there's something missing. You haven't really engaged with it yet. James gives us some more insight. James chapter one, verse twenty-two to twenty-five. I'll read it from the New King James. James says. Don't just listen to God's Word. In other words, don't just get information. You must do what it says. Action. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. It's deception. Deception. You know what the deception is? It's when you think something is true, and you believe it with your whole heart, and you live accordingly, only to find out it's not true, it's a lie. That is deception. And here is the deception that James is talking about. It's the thought that because I think I know something or I know about something, that that thing I think I know about is actually working itself out in my life. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that about God. I, I, I know that. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that that is now somehow a part of us and we're walking in that, where the truth is it's not at work if it's not being applied. If there's no fruit, James goes on to say, For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like taking a glance, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you carefully look into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you in doing it. Forgive me, that is not new King James. Not sure what that is. But it's the Bible. It's true. It's real. It's good. Probably New Living Translation or The Message, but it's not New King James. What does it mean that God will bless you in doing it? The word blessed is loaded. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this this morning because I'm, I'm, I'm going to start wrapping up soon. The word blessed means empowered to prosper. It is something that comes externally upon one that enables one in a given situation to prosper in that which that you're setting yourself up to. And so what the Scripture of James is really saying is it's not just about hearing or thinking you know God's Word, it's about applying it. But as you apply it, God will bless you. In other words, His presence and His grace comes upon you and enables you to prosper in that thing. Because how many of you know... Living up to God's standard of His Word 24-7. How easy is that? You know, if it's just me and Jesus, it's not all that hard. It's you lot. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just me and Jesus is easy. But we live in a world that is fallen, that is broken. Difficult people. People that really challenge us. Situations. I want to say this to you, and I want to challenge you with this, folks. When you make a decision to engage with God primarily, but engage with God, engage with His Word, engage in worship, engage with the calling that God has placed on your life, you will never be disappointed. Never. God will never let you down. Some people engage with God on a superficial level for very basic things. God, please guide me in this decision, or uh, help me, God, I'm in trouble, or God, please provide for me, or God, please heal this situation. Seeking God for things like this is good because it leads to gratitude and it leads to personal advancement in wherever it is that you feel you want to go in your life. But it's actually a very rudimentary level. Others engage with God on a deeper level and in so doing gain access to the true riches, to the real power of God. They seek God not just for what He can do for them, but for who He is. Their heart's desire is to experientially know Him, not just know about Him. They press in and worship with their whole heart. What do I mean by worship? They present their hearts and lives to God as a sacrifice that He may lead and guide. They praise Him. They seek Him for wisdom and knowledge and understanding of His Word. Not just what He can do, but for who He is. You see, engaging with God for things like this results not in personal advancement alone, but it results in personal transformation. And isn't that what we really want? And this is what those who truly follow Jesus or are disciples do. As we venture into 2020, folks, God's desire for you is clear. He wants you to experience Him in powerful ways that you have never imagined before. Is that unique to this year? No. That's just God's heart for you. Every day, every moment, every month, every year, every week, is to know Him and experience Him in powerful, magnificent ways that you've only dreamed of. It's an invitation that He calls us to engage with Him in because He longs to reveal Himself to us. Folks, there's one word that I want to leave you with today. Engage. Engage. Truly connect with God. Do what it takes to synchronize your life with His. It may mean you're going to have to shift some priorities. You're going to have to set some things in order so that you can engage in that. Why? Because you're currently engaged in so many other things. What do I mean? Your heart is in them. Your life is in them. Your time is in them. Your resources are in them. Family and work and and pressures and this and that. There's so many things in life that we're engaged in. Why? Because this is the age of information. It's so easy to be engaged. I can sit and watch the TV and take in a television program while being engaged with someone or something else on my cell phone. How many of you do that? We're constantly engaging with something. And I want to say, folks, hey, good or bad, it's, it's part of life out there. I'm not you know, vilifying anything or, or making anything a villain here. But the one that we truly need to be engaging with is God. And if we're going to do that, it's going to take some action. And, and the first action most likely is going to be a reprioritizing of certain things so that we make sure that we're engaging our hearts, our time, our lives, our resources with Him first. Put your heart into going after Him. Add action. Add action. Here's here's the catch. We judge other people by their actions, yet we judge ourselves by our intentions. How many times have people said to me, but God knows my heart. Uh, Yeah, God does know your heart. You don't. You believe that because you're well-intended that that's enough. It's not. Good intention, never won anything. We have to do something. We have to take that intention and let it engage with our real life, put energy to it, produce something, go after it in your relationship with your God. God will never let you down. God will never disappoint you when you engage with Him. He says it, Jeremiah 29, verse 13 and 14. I'll read from the message. This is the message. He says, When you come looking for me, you will find me. Could it be any simpler, folks? Yes, when you get serious about finding me, and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. Isn't that an incredible promise? Now folks, look at me for a second. That promise, that invitation from God comes to each and every single one of us from a Father who loves us more than we could ever possibly imagine, who wants nothing but the best for us, for each and every one of us. He longs to make us more like Him so that we can experience true joy, true peace, real life. All He requires of you and me is to engage, is to acknowledge, God, thank you. And engage with Him. Open your heart to Him. Share your heart with Him. Speak your heart and your mind to Him. God doesn't mind wrestling with you through your anxieties, through your doubts, through your fears, through the things you don't understand, through the things you think you understand. More than anything, He wants to engage with you. I don't mind sitting with my kids and listening to them, trying to figure things out and explaining them and not quite understanding them and working with them. And you know, I don't mind teaching them how to catch a ball and, and you know, over and over again, and over and over again, until one day the delight on their face when they get it right. Why? Because I love them. That is how God is with every single one of us. And He is waiting for you to engage with Him so that He can be found. He's not hiding from you. He's hiding for you. And He wants to be found in His Word, in your place of prayer, in the songs that we sing. God's waiting for you to find Him and His love in your spouse, in your colleagues, in your schoolmates, in your friends, in the beggar down the road. But most of all, God is waiting for you to find His love within yourself, within you. This isn't some message that it's all kind of in there and you'll find it. I'm talking about engaging one-on-one with God, understanding that He resides and abides within you. The invitation is there. A lot of the knowledge may be there. A lot of the practical understanding of how this thing should work itself out may be there. But what is lacking for most of us? Engagement. Engagement. Last week, Pastor Andreas spoke about Paul in the letter that he wrote. He says, I am going after the call. I am running my race. I am giving it all. I am pursuing something. I am after something. What was it? The upward call of God. He knew, he had his priorities right. He knew what he was pursuing, and he went after it with all of his heart. Folks, let me be blunt. If Jesus is not worth going after with all of your heart, he is not worth going after at all. It's all or nothing with Jesus. This message today is not meant to come across in a condemning way. Because all of us get caught up. All of our attentions get diverted. All of us say and think we know things, but the truth of the reality is in our lives they're not manifesting. All of us grapple with that to one degree or another. What I want to do this morning is stir something up in your heart to say, I'm not content to stay that way one moment longer. I don't want to have a knowledge of God or about God without truly experiencing that in a real vital way. I don't want to read stories about God's power. I want to see it at work in my life. I don't want to hear about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. I need peace in my situation. And being willing to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Get there. Would you stand with me? Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for this moment. This moment where your presence is here. This moment where we can engage with you heart to heart and face to face. Father, I want to thank You, Lord, that You are not a God who just plays games with us, but that You love us deeply and dearly. You loved us to the point where You took action and You sent Your Son, Jesus. And Jesus, You loved us to the point where You laid down Your own life and took our sin upon Yourself that we may receive life, Your life, and Your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, You loved us so much that You came and made our very hearts Your abode. We cannot question, Lord God, the degrees that You have gone to to engage with each and every single one of us. For Your love and Your life reaches out to each one of us every single day. Father, my prayer this morning is that You would forgive us for being so distracted by so many things so engaged in and caught up with so many things that are not you. They are not of you and they are not from you and they bring no glory to you. That, Lord, we are so content to go about our lives ignoring your plea and sort of acknowledging you in a vague sort of way without engaging with you, without seeking your heart and your counsel, without taking delight in your presence. Father, forgive us. Forgive us where we've gotten caught up in this. And Lord, my prayer for this year as we look ahead is that this year will be a year of engagement, where we engage with you, where we become more invested in our relationship with you than ever before, where we become more invested in obeying your word, of living out and walking in the fullness of everything that we think we know, of putting into practice that which you speak to us day by day through your word and by your spirit. Father, give us sensitivity to your leading, I pray. Give us the ability to hear your voice and to know what it is you're saying to us. And give us the joy of knowing that we're walking in your ways, that we are obeying you, that we are entering into and walking into the call that you have on every one of our lives. Father, we open our hearts to that today. We say, Lord, come, speak, guide me, give me grace. Let me know and understand you, not just mentally, Father God, but experientially. Give me the grace I need and the wisdom to make the changes that I need to make. That I may enter into greater depths of maturity, greater realms of, of, of intimacy with you and with your Spirit. Let your Word come alive in me experientially this year, Father God. I pray it in Jesus' wonderful name. And if you pray there with all your heart, say, Amen. 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 We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.